Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, this episode is a continuation of the series that we are in on the seven steps of the sales process. And this is something that we did a couple years ago. We went through these seven steps. And for me, this sales process, it's really changed the trajectory of my career in a lot of ways because having a process that I could follow and I could measure and I could practice and get better at it enabled me to, number one, become a better salesperson, but it also made me able to teach these concepts to my team so that they could start to have success beyond anything that I could myself. And a couple of years ago, when we went through this as a podcast series, I spoke with different people who I felt like embodied this process really well. And as time had gone by, I wanted to kind of do that same thing, but speak with some new voices, people who I feel like really embody different parts of this sales process well so that we can learn from what they're doing. Now, in today's conversation, we're having a return guest to the show. I'm going to be speaking with Alan Rush. Now, Alan was on the show last year to talk about some things related to sales as well, and you can go back and listen to that episode. But one of the things that I really, really appreciate about Alan is that he is a true practitioner. So Alan's a sales coach, and he's an absolute celebrity in the chimney industry, and he literally has clients that have waited years to start working with him. And Alan travels and he rides along with folks who are doing chimney inspections and in-home work. And, and I'm not joking when I tell you that Alan has people that will sell $65,000 in a day, you know, driving up to people's homes and servicing chimneys. And Alan is somebody that day in and day out, he is in the field working side by side with the people doing the work. And there's a level of credibility that you gain when that is what you do. And, you know, I'll get asked often, like, well, Tim, like, what do you think about what Alan says about this? And most of the time I'm like, well, I don't know how you can argue with him because he's so successful and because he's living and breathing it. You know, I might have more questions if, if someone from outside the industry had like a theory about sales that didn't seem to, you know, pass the, the smell test with the nuance of, of what we deal with day in and day out. But man, Alan lives and breathes this, and it was an honor to get to speak to him. So in today's conversation, we're talking about call to action, and calling a customer to action, or the CTA, is something that so many salespeople have difficulty with. It's one of the most common questions I get is, how do you call people to action? How do you make it to where salespeople are not afraid to do it? What do you do when there's a pricing objection? And me and Alan get into all of that. So I'll share some more thoughts with you on the back end of this conversation. But for now, I would recommend getting out a pen and paper because there's some serious value in this conversation. Joining me from Nashville, Tennessee is a return guest to the show. He's the owner of Rush Profits and a partner at Surefire Training Academy. I'm here today with Alan Rush. Alan, welcome back, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. I've been really excited about this conversation. And as I've been starting to, to teach more and more 
companies that are on the chimney side of the industry rather than the hearth appliance retailer side, your name continues to come up. And literally sometimes people will be like, well, Tim, Alan Rush says this. What do you think? And I'm just always like, yeah, do what Alan says. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, you're, it's funny. Your name is coming up a lot more as well. And uh, I think we both have very similar ideals about sales and process. And I think that we're coming at it from two different types of businesses, from a, yeah. a service side, a hearth side. But it, it's pretty impressive to see how, even though we've never planned things together, how our thought processes are uh, very similar in a lot of ways. So that's very cool. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, for, for folks who haven't heard you on the podcast before, we had you on last year to talk about sales. And the reason that I'm so impressed by what you do, Alan, is because you live it and breathe it in a way that I, I don't know of anyone else in our industry. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing somebody, but you've got clients. I mean, your wait list is months, if not years to get on your list. And you literally, you know, will go fly to clients places and go ride with them to go on job calls. And so when I hear you say something, it's not just that you read it in a book or that it's, it's theory. It's, it's you saying like, well, I was in Syracuse, New York last week and here's how it worked when I did it in the home. And dude, I mean, it's just, I think it's amazing what you do, but, it, but there's so much power in it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's easy to do as I say, not as I do, right? Um, you know, as, as a parent, as a coach, as a trainer, uh, but whenever you are living it, breathing it literally every week, um, I'm still, you know, not exactly by choice, but, you know, 250 days a year, roughly, you know, I'm in either a sales training class or in the field in real homes doing real sales and, and showing real results. So so I think um, the process is, is ever changing. It's probably changed 100 times since I started this 10 plus years ago. But um, as we went through different cycles and times of you know economy and COVID and uh, market and geography, we find tweaks that just tend to to work better. And this is a ever evolving process. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, I love it, man. It's, who would have thought chimneys, right? You know, it's like no one wakes up and says, I want to be a sales trainer in the chimney world. But, uh, you know, life's blessed me that way so yeah well it's, it's amazing to see what it's done for your career and i think that you know again while sales you know might have nuances that i do it one way you do it another way someone else does it another way i think that most successful salespeople have the same things in common i, I really think there's many of the same things in common and last time that you were on the show you talked about how you need to have kind of three things you need to have a process you need to have confidence you need to have rapport with the customer and the reason I want to have you on today, we're in our series on the seven steps in the sales process, revisiting it from a couple of years ago. And just to give a recap of those seven steps real quick, the way that I parse this out is step one is we greet the customer. Step two, we take the time to understand their problem. Step three, we advise a solution. Step four, we explain the process of what their job's going to look like because they've never done this before. Step five, we call to action. Step six, we pursue the opportunity. And then step seven, we show gratitude. Today, we're talking about the call to action, and there's no one that I could think of more than you that I, I wanted to, to, to talk about this because I think that many salespeople are afraid to call to action. And, and I'd love just to tee you up like, like, I'm sure that you get this, right? Like, like, why are salespeople afraid of this? And what's this look like in your world? Yeah, well, rejection's scary, right? Uh, you know, rejection feels bad when people tell you, no, you feel like you did something wrong. And so the easiest way to not get a no is, 
opposed to not go for the yes. And so um, I think that is a big thing. And, and I have the, this weekly uh, sales video series that, that I do as well. And I literally just did a video on this uh, a couple of weeks ago about what we call objection projection, right? And that is where the salesperson puts out the objection they think they're going to get before the customer has a chance to give it to them, <laughs> you know, like something like, I get this is a lot of money and you're probably going to need to think about this. You're probably going to need to talk to your wife. And then so they put out these things in, uh, in a way that they don't have the customer tell them because they don't want to handle that or they don't want to, uh, they're in the friend zone, so to speak, and they don't want to be that, that sales guy. So I think that is absolutely a confidence thing. It's a fear thing. It is an uncomfortableness thing. Uh, which is why, you know, my entire process is really what I call permission based selling, right? I'm never, um, putting something in front of the customer that they haven't asked for or that they haven't uh, inquired about a problem or something that my solution resolves. So you'll never, ever see me sit down with a customer and say, okay, so here's what's going on and here's what I recommend. I mean, that is, that's classic sales 101. So we go in and it's more of a consult of, uh, you know, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are that's our right. goals here today? And then once you tell me what you want as a customer, I am then going to show you the path to uh, realize that outcome, right? And then, yeah. so there's no pressure, right? It's like, you've asked for it. Here's what that looks like. If you no longer want it because of objection A, B, or C, that's fine. We can talk through that. But there should be no um, no salesmanship, right? So yeah. to speak. It is more of, you know, here's why you called me and here's what this would look like. And here's, like you said, the, the process of what that job would look like. Here's the outcome. And then... Uh, my biggest thing, and this is probably a little bit of a difference in hearth and, and service, is that uh, I always say people don't buy what you sell. They buy what's going to happen if they don't buy what you sell. Yeah. So it's it's that whole idea of if we choose not to move forward with what you told me you wanted to move forward with, here are the repercussions, so to speak. Here are the things that will continue to happen, uh, whether you can't use the system up to you know, safely code standard, whether yeah. you're going to have deterioration of the exterior, potential water into the home, whatever those things are. And, and my whole thing is, I, as long as they understand the impact of not moving forward, then I feel like I've done my job as a consultant, right? Yeah, it's so good. I mean, like, if you were to ask me the definition of sales, like I think my working definition would be that sales is communicating wisdom to bring people to the point of a decision. I really think that's what it is. Like I'm trying to communicate wisdom to these people and and bring them to the point of a decision. Whatever their decision is, that's up to them. Like, you know, we live in a free country for now, so they can say no and that's fine. My job's not right. to make the decision for them, but it's to be persuasive in the wisdom I convey and then put them in a position to make the decision. And I think that that does free you from the fear of rejection because it's like if i've communicated this wisdom to you you've invited me into the home and said this is what i want and you say no like okay like fine like i'm still going to pursue the opportunity this is the next step in the sales process but i don't need to take like personal offense at that and it seems like you're also tying this back into understanding the problem like if they have told you this is the problem there's not much fear in calling them to action because it's what they want right and I think the big difference in our industry, especially the service side, is usually their problem is the symptom, not the problem, right? And they're sometimes minimalized in their head. Hey, I've got a couple of bricks that have come out of my chimney or, hey, I've got 
uh, whatever the case may be. And like, how much could it possibly be to get a couple of bricks replaced? And if we go into the brick replacement business, we're going to be replacing bricks every year if we don't solve the underlying root cause of the water intrusion. So that's where the wisdom and the expertise comes in to explain that, you know, bricks don't just come out of chimneys naturally. And yes, we can solve that. But if we don't also resolve the, the underlying issues, then we're going to continue to have those yeah. issues. And I love that definition that you used of cells. The one that I've used in my classes over and over, uh, it come out of a book called The Lost Start of closing. Um, and it's a, a guy named Anthony Iorino. And, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says that uh, sales is just simply a conversation that takes a customer from their current state to their desired future state and the path that we're going to take together to help them achieve that. Right. Wow. And so all it is, is a conversation. And so whenever people start getting nervous about, you know, am I, you know, oh my gosh, I got to do a call to action. I got to ask for it. All you're doing is, is continuing the conversation to say, are we still on track yeah. to where you told me? to go or do we have questions at this point and you know yeah and that's all objections are right they're, they're just questions they're what i call barriers to yes yeah uh, you know yep. i need this before i can make a decision and who better to answer those questions than the expert that's in the room right in front of them right that's right yeah that's right i literally had some companies tell me they'll prepare an estimate on site but they say we we never even ask customers to buy it. We just don't want to be high pressure. We just give it to them and we just leave and say, hey, you can let us know. There's no pressure. And I just imagine this company that like makes a paper airplane, they're revving their van out of the driveway and it's like, throw that airplane. Like, here it is, you know? And I'm like, man, I don't think that's actually a heart of service. I think that if you genuinely want to help these people and believe that your product can help them, you'll call them to action. So, okay, I'd love to ask you this. Give me an example of like, what's one of your favorite calls to action to use? So I think we might have talked about this on the last episode and I change, you know, depending on uh, the situation, but my standard uh, call to action is what I call the payment close, right? It is basically, again, I teach the assumptive cell mindset. You called me with a problem. I assume I am going to help you fix this problem until you tell me we're not. So all yeah. my language is going to be, when I do this, when my guys get here, then it's going to look like this. I, In my mind, we're doing this job until you tell me we're not. So when I get to the end, it is not about, are we doing the job, right? It is, how are we proceeding? What does the next yeah. step look like? And so typically I'll go through the entire report. I'll, I'll do all the findings. I'll show them, you know, what the outcome looks like. You know, I'll get to their desired future results, so to speak. And then we'll talk numbers. You know, I tend to rip the bandaid with people. I was like, look, you know, after I've spent 10 or 15 minutes explaining what the work's going to look like, look, if... Uh, you know, Ms. Jones, if we do absolutely every single thing that I went through today, inside, outside, repairing, preventing, and making sure that we own this chimney for you, you know, we are, we're looking at roughly 12 grand on this. Now, I, you know, I get it. It's a chunk of change. And uh, there's basically, let me walk you through the details of how I got to that number. And then when I get to the end, again, we're we're roughly 12 grand here. So there's basically three ways that our company uh, does business. And the, the first and the most common is we just take whatever your down payment is, right? We take a third yeah. down, we take a half down. That's going to allow me to get you on the schedule going to allow me to uh, get all of your parts and your systems ordered, make sure everything is in stock, right? Um, we're about six weeks out right now. So roughly, uh, you'll have about six weeks to come up with that other, you know, six grand. Uh, once we're done with the job, you're happy with everything. And we've done everything we said we would do, we take that final payment. And I literally will use this this line. I'll say, now, if you're like me and you don't have 12 grand just sitting around earmarked for your chimney, or if you do have 12 grand, you weren't planning on putting it into your chimney, our company does have two really cool payment programs, right? We have a we have a 12 month same as cash. Basically, I give you the, the 12 grand today with a quick credit check. And then 
you've got a year to pay it off however you see fit. If you want to do a little bit a month or wait 11 months and pay it all off at once, just uh, no interest as long as it's done within 12 months. Now, if you do need a little bit more time than a year, I've got a five-year program as well. That does carry a little bit of an interest rate, works out to be about $100 for every uh, 5000 that we borrow. So in this case, we're roughly $220 a month with no prepayment penalty. So so between the down payment, the same as cash, and the, the five-year program, which one of those works the best for you to get this project started? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good because it's like you're giving them multiple options to say yes, and you're trying to be sympathetic to their terms, right? Sympathetic to say hey, here's one way to do it, but here's another way, but here's another way. And I think that customers, like the idea of saying, we are going to move this forward, but you have some options within, I think that that's really comforting for a customer. Well, it's comforting. And it's one of those things, like you said, an empathetic statement. Um, And one of the things that's fascinating to me, because I teach this, this close is, a lot of technicians uh, are afraid to bring up financing because they somehow feel like they are going to insult the customer and their inability mm-hmm. to pay, right? Like, well, I don't want to offend them, right? I don't want to uh, upset them or, uh, you know, imply that they can't do that. That's why I always start with as empathy, right? Like if you're like me, now, if you got 12 grand sitting around, great, awesome. But what they what they don't understand or what most younger guys don't understand is it is the people that have the money that are going to most likely take advantage of same as cash, right? I mean, um, they understand time value of money. They understand that, hey, if you're going to give me 12 grand for a year at no cost to me, I will let my current 12 grand work for me in other ways. And thank you for that great benefit. And so I think once you understand that you're actually assisting the customer in options, and a lot of times it's not the money, it's cash flow or it's there's other projects going on. They just put on a roof. They just had an HVAC unit and they, you know, they want to do it, but their money's tied up in other places. And giving them that outlet is nothing but an aid to them. And so, uh, you know, if you start to feel that nervousness or that pressure of like, hey, you know, I don't want to imply you don't have this, turn your lens completely around because the, you're actually assisting your customer. We'll get back to our conversation with Alan Rush in just one second. Hey, if you've been listening to the podcast this season and have questions about how to apply the sales process into your specific business, I want to help you out with our very last episode of this season. So as is our tradition, we close out every season of the podcast with a Q&A episode where I respond to real questions that are sent in or that are brought up throughout the entire time that I'm recording the season. And so this is one of those things when you listen to interviews or, or conversations or teaching moments, Sometimes there's nuance that we're not able to get into in the interview format. And by you asking questions, we can make sure to respond in a way that gives you value and context of how to apply what we're saying into your business. Now, to send your question in, you just got to shoot me an email. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. Yeah. Now, okay, so here's a question. So you're in Nashville, like you're in the heart of Tennessee and in Dave Ramsey country. So if you get somebody that through conversation, you find out they're a Dave Ramsey, no debt, no financing, do you still offer that? Or do you think I'm actually not going to offer that because of what I've learned about the customer? 
Yeah, if I learn through there that they're Dave Ramsey, and I know Dave Ramsey, I mean, I've we've sold flooring to him and I've, you know, I've met him a few times. And when I was a, a young parent, we used the envelope method and we had certain amount of monies. And if we didn't have it, we, you know, we didn't do it. And so I can completely empathize with that. And so my case to that is same as cash is equivalent uh, to cash, right? It's same as cash, right? It's like, if you have this bucket of yeah. money to spend, don't have 12 grand now, but you have a thousand a month to spend. This program is equivalent to that. We're just allowing you to do the work now because yeah. I assure you in 12, 12 months, the scope is going to be larger. Yeah. It's going to be more expensive, it's going to be more deterioration. So that that 12 could turn into 15. So this is yeah. basically a stopgap to yep. assure we solve the problem uh, within the budget that you have. That's powerful. And I was talking actually with a friend about this the other day, and he was saying that chimney problems don't get better with time. And that's so obvious, yeah. right? But on the hearth appliance side, say someone's got a, a broken gas insert or a, a, a wood stove that's not safe. Well, they can just simply choose not to use it and nothing gets worse. But a chimney situation is different. It doesn't get better with time. And I'd love to talk about this next. So I think that in sales, scarcity and urgency are very powerful levers that we can and should pull. Now, we should pull them very delicately and like not with a heart of manipulation, but you were the one that talked about earlier, like when people are buying the chimney service, they're not necessarily buying what you're doing. They're buying what it prevents them from having to live with, right? So do you use scarcity and urgency at all in your, in your closes? I do uh, quite a bit. Now, let's be sure we define urgency as uh, education based, not fear based. Right. Yeah. And I literally just had a meeting yesterday. Uh, I did an eight hour class for a company and then we were doing our follow up, you know, uh, as they were out in the field implementing some of the techniques that we talked about. And one of the points of feedback that I got was, you know, I teach this big three process, which is, uh, you know, what is this thing? What does it do? What happened to it? And what happens if we don't address it? They were turning the what happens if we don't address it into more of a fear based uh, comment than an education based. And so like an example would be in the, you know, in a, the fireplace world, right? If we're scanning a chimney and the, the smoke chamber is not parched or there's a missing mortar and a flue tile or something of that nature, the, you know, the big three would be this is the upside down funnel, right? This is what basically transfers all the heat, the byproducts of combustion, smoke, carbon dioxide, and it funnels it into the flue. And because it's not smooth, it's not able to get the, the byproducts into the flue as quick as we would like. And it creates turbulence. It creates residency time. It allows smoke to kind of bake onto the sides of the brick. And then on top of that, these bricks in your firebox are fire bricks, right? These are designed to not allow heat to absorb past the structure. But the bricks in your smoke chamber are regular brick. They're sponges. They absorb water, heat. Uh, they allow heat to transfer through the brick into areas of unknown in the wall. And so through pyrolization and you explaining all of that, every time you have a fire, the ignition temperature gets lower and lower of whatever combustibles may be in the wall. And so um, I don't have that magic ball. You know, you could burn for another 30 years and be fine, but you could burn today and have an incident. And so so that's the impact of not moving forward is it's almost like an insurance policy here, right? Uh, what are the odds that this could be an issue? And, you know, yes, this wasn't a code back in 1960, but why do we have codes and standards in the first place? We had enough people go through bad situations that the national code said this needs to change change because it's a danger. And so that's what we're educating people on. And so I say the same thing that you say, look, at the end of the day, the good news here is 
Um, none of this has to be fixed as long as you're not having a fire, right? Um, so there's absolutely no urgency here. But you told me when you got here, again, your goals were to uh, have a functioning fireplace and you enjoyed yeah. it for these reasons. And so before you're able to do that, this is one of the things that we would definitely want to address before use, right? Yeah. So there's that fine line. I'm not saying, hey, you're going to burn your house down if you have a fire, but I am letting you know that um, the situation exists that you do have deposits of carbon in places that I can't access. And if sparks or things like that were to to hit those, then, you know, that's a recipe for potentially bad things happening. So we would recommend as certified chimney experts that this gets taken care of before you have a fire. Yeah. And I mean, and we could go into water leaks and everything else again, like, man, a water leak, how long do you want to go with water intruding into your home? You know, so so I, I think that urgency, I've heard Donald Miller say it, that like, you should use, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but like he says you should use the risk of what will happen if they don't do business with you, like salt in a recipe, just use a pinch of it here and there, whereas use success like flour, cups and cups and cups. And I look at scarcity and urgency that way. I think that there's a very real way to do this. So like for me, if I'm in a showroom, I feel like steps four and five of the sales process in my mind are so intertwined. Explaining the process is step four and then calling to action is step five. So like if I've got someone in the showroom and I can explain the process in three simple steps, like, hey, Mr. Customer, it looks like this gas insert is going to be a really good fit for you. So I'd love to explain the way that all all of our jobs work just because buying a fireplace is something it doesn't happen every day well step one before you leave today i'll write you up an estimate range for your project so that way we've got a pretty good idea of what the job is going to cost now step two if those numbers look good we can send one of our technicians out to look at your job firsthand they're going to make sure there's nothing that we missed in our conversation today that there's no safety issues and they'll confirm the exact number on that project and then step three if you feel comfortable moving ahead we'll go ahead and get this thing scheduled so you can start enjoying your fireplace so that's me explaining the process here's what we're about to do step one estimate range step two in-home visit step three installation and then i just assume the estimate so let's go write your estimate i don't ask them so can i put together an right. estimate for you dude they're in the freaking store you know like they're here right. like let them tell me i don't want an estimate i can say so let's, let's go build your estimate if i'm in the home i do the same thing but the steps are a little bit different we just talked about this last week on the podcast with jonah you know in the home step one is after i've looked at everything i've advised the solution then i'll say okay so here's the way that all of our jobs work you know step one um I'm going to go out to the truck and put together the final quote for this. So that way you've got an idea of the exact dollar amount. Step two, if those numbers look good, we can call the office and check our next available installation date. And then step three, if you feel comfortable moving ahead, we'll go ahead and get this thing in the book so you can start using your fireplace again. So now when I yeah. come to the customer, I, I go to the truck I put the quote together and now I come up to them and I rip off that bandaid, like get that price out there and then you can build it back up of, of building the value in it. And then I don't even ask him if it looks good. You can just say, okay, so this is where it is. Um, do you want to call the office and check the next available installation date? Because that tells me something, right? If they've got a problem with my price, there's no way they're going to call the office and check when I'm available for install. So if they say no to that, now I can ask them, so how does this price fit compared to what you expected to spend on the project? Now we can go into pricing objectives. But if they're not going to take me there, if they're going to look at a number of 12 grand you know, $172 and say, yeah, let's call the office and check the date. Perfect. Like, let's do that. Then when I give them the date, I'll ask them. So like my call to action, it's the simplest thing in the world. I just say, so did you want to get that on the schedule? And the reason I do that is it's so low pressure. I'm not saying like, do you want to give me money? Because it's implied like that they're going to need to pay us to do that. 
And if they say no, this is what we talked about last week on the podcast. If they say no, I'll say, well, don't worry. We can hold that date for 24 hours. You can talk about it with your husband, talk about it with your wife. And I'll I'll give you a call tomorrow uh, before we have to give that date to somebody else. So that is the urgency and the scarcity that I'm going to choose to insert there. So so for me, like that's my go-to call to action. It's like, do you want to get this in the schedule? Yeah, I love it, man. There's so many similarities few little tiny differences, uh, your advice, the solution, like when I'm doing interior evaluations, I always have the customer there live with me. They're watching the scan with me. They're finding the problems with me. And then well, let's just say the smoke chamber and the flu again are, are um, you know, damaged and they, and they need some work. Uh, you know, I stop right there and I say, okay, look, um, you know, we've got a system that definitely shouldn't be used for reasons A, B, and C. Uh, all this stuff is fixable. Uh, there's two or three ways that we can go about uh, resolving these issues. They all cost roughly the same amount of money, whether uh, I fix the damage or bypass the damage. So if we're going to make an investment into this uh, this fireplace, let's make sure it's exactly what you want, right? Is there, and hopefully I've already done this in my yeah. discovery, yeah. is that, you know, is there anything in your fireplace that's not doing that you wish it did? Are you getting everything that you want out of it? Was there anything that you don't like about it? And then that's the point there. I would come back and say, based on everything you told me before, you did like the ambiance of the fire, but you know, you really kind of wish you you had a little more heat out of it. And, you know, you needed a backup power source and, you know, you're going through a whole lot of wood, you know, basically um, let me show you a picture of kind of what a, you know, wood insert would look like. This is going to check all those boxes for you. You're going to, uh, due to its efficiency, you're going to use three or four times less wood. You're going to get a lot better burn time. You're definitely going to get the heat. You're going to have to back up power. And from a price standpoint, this is actually probably even more economical. And so what I would like to do uh, with your permission is to at least go to the truck, um, get the measurements, see what options would fit in here. Let me come up with some rough numbers for you and see if this is even in the ballpark of making sense for you, right? It's that something that you would like to see right and then they're always like yeah we at least want to take a look at it right so same thing i go on the roof and this is what i call the takeaway you know this is where some of that urgency comes into it is now look i know this is why you called me what you want to use the fireplace but let's now let's just be very clear you saw the damper was rusted you saw uh the mortar joints that were missing all of that is due to uh mainly water intrusion so we saw all these white streaks coming down the flue tiles so at some point, whether current or past, we've had a pretty significant water intrusion issue uh, on your chimney. So the last thing I'd want to do is put a big metal box into something that has water uh, actively coming in. So uh, before I get too far, let me hop up on the roof, make sure everything's structurally stable up there, make sure there's nothing active that that's water that we would need to address because that would then become the priority because we can always hold not using the fire, but the exterior never gets better on its own. So then we'll yeah. go up, we'll take pictures, we'll come back and say, hey, Everything uh, looks really, really good. Uh, the couple little minor things that maybe the, the crown's cracked or we need a little repointing. So what I would like to do again uh, for you, Tim, is just to let me go to the truck, kind of put together some numbers for fixing this top part of the chimney and some of these joints so that we don't have any water coming and intruding on this new stove. Does that sound fair? Right. And yeah. they're always like, yeah, let's take a look at it. Yeah. And so then I call it the marination period, right? That 20 to 30 minutes Dude, that I'm yes. in the truck working it up, their head's going, right? That, you know, they're like, how much is this going to be? And then it's just for, when I come back in, I hopefully build enough value in my presentation so that I don't have that price reaction. Um, and then the only other real difference is, is I tend to try to avoid yes or no questions. I like your direct style. Uh, I try to avoid closed-ended questions when it comes to the close. Like, is this something that you want to get on the schedule? Yeah. I, 
I would more call and say, hey, uh, we've got, you know, next week available at Thursday or Friday, which one of those days works there best you go. for you? There you go. Um, and kind of make them where they don't have an easy out, right? They have to actually think and puke out their their decision. And this, the decision is not, am I getting on the schedule? It's which day am I getting on the schedule, right? Yeah, it's so good. Like, make sure every option is a buying option. I've got two little kids right now, and uh, I often take that to heart. Make sure every option I give them is a buying option, you know? So, okay, in the last couple minutes here, I want to ask you just a quick question about objections. So, sure. so you, you go through this close, right? You go through the Alan Rush process, or you go through the, the seven-step, you know, retail process that I've got, and you do a great job delivering the close. And the customer says, hey, thanks. Um, we're not ready. I really appreciate that. Most yeah. salespeople go, okay, hey, thanks. Well, there's no pressure. You know, just let me know. Um, it was great working with you today, and they leave. Yeah. Why is that wrong, and what should you do instead? Well, you know, it, it go, go back to your mindset. They called you, right? So they told you what they want, and now you get to the end, and they say no thanks. So something in between that hour and a half that you were there <laughs> changed. Yes. So, so it went from, I'm excited for this. This is what I want. This is what my desired end result happens till we get to the end, and they're like, you know what? My desired end result is the same, but we're not interested. So it's my job to find out what changed. And so yeah. I always start with empathy. Like, hey, I get it. You know, this is probably an investment that may not have been at the level that you were thinking, but kind of help me. And I'll literally say, help me through your thinking from uh, the time that you called me to where we're at today. What changed? Is it purely the expectation of, of money? Or is this project not what you thought it was going to be, right? And I'm just going to challenge them to tell me that, hey, well, you know, honestly, it's um, it's definitely much more of a an investment than what we were thinking. I use your exact thing that you just said. Perfect. I appreciate you being honest with me on that uh, versus me just calling you over and over and over wondering where you stand. Uh, just because I'm always trying to improve my process. Help me understand where you thought this project was going to land. Yeah. Right. And then that's where I know, am I in the game or not? Dude, right? that's right. They're giving you an anchor. If they're like, well, we thought it was going to be around nine grand. Yeah. You're at 12. I was at nine. Okay, perfect. Well, you know, and I can go in and say, how did you come up with nine? Well, they did research or they had another quote or that was just a number they made up in their head. But the, the point is that I can agree with that number. I guarantee you I can agree with that number. Oh, that nine is perfect. It's exactly what it costs for you know the stove and the install. But keep in mind, That's uh, right. you know, at this point, we, we're doing some water protection for you to protect the stove. Now, um, if that is something that, you know, we don't, we want to just risk having the, the chimney get, uh, you know, worse over time or have a bigger bill down the road, I can certainly remove that three grand uh, and right. get you to that nine number yes. that we're at risk. Or, um, you know, if you had nine that you were prepared to spend, I can float this other three grand over a year or five years. Where I mean, we're talking literally $55 a month um, to keep this thing protected. And if that's something that we want to do, I have all those options for you. Um, and then I would say, if you really had nine, I know this is not the fun money, um, but I would rather you spend three than the nine and just protect the outside of the structure yes. so that yes. you don't have that bigger bill down the road. And then maybe uh, you put back, you know, a couple extra yeah, grand yeah. over the next year, and then you can use the system because right now um, it's not a big deal if you don't, as long as you don't have a fire in here. But again, the reason you called me is that you said you wanted a fire with yeah. heat. That's what this looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Like what I'm hearing in this conversation is just, it's like the combination of like direction and flexibility, the direction to say like, this is the direction that we're going in, but there's so much flexibility for you to either off ramp or ask questions or go a different route. And I feel like again, with that $12,000 quote, 
if they're at nine, you're so close that what I would like to do is exactly what you're saying, like, let's take things out of it to test is it really the money? Because if it's really like they have nine grand, they can't spend a penny more, which never happens. But if that's it, hey, you know what? Let's let's remove this and this. Now, here's what's going to happen if we do that. You know, in a couple years, you 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 might have to have us back out here, but this is going to get you by. Or you know what? Let's hold off on the appliance for now. Let's get this thing protected, and you can do the appliance next year. But you'll right. find out. Well, but we wanted the appliance, right? So I, I love that man. It's like it's having the confidence. And, and the rapport with the customer to be able to ask them honestly, you know, where's the yellow light? Like, let's dig down to that. Alan, this has been such a good conversation, man. I, I know that you're booked out, right, three years on taking on a new client. But if, if people want more of you, like, where can people get more Alan Rush? Yeah, my on-site scheduling is is booked out for probably about two years, which is crazy when you think about <laughs> it, right? But uh, I will say, uh, this is breaking news for for your podcast here, even though it won't air for a couple of months. I, I do have an apprentice uh, that I'm bringing on. Uh, he attended a bunch of meetings with me yesterday, and he's going to be traveling with me uh, this week to uh, uh, to do a class and, and just kind of see if this is for him. So that may potentially open up some slots. But to answer your question directly, I do keep some virtual days, so uh, I always offer for uh, a one hour free consult to see if it's even a fit. So uh, rushprofits.com, uh, R-U-S-H-P-R-O-F as in Frank, I-T-S.com. Um, and then the easiest thing, and this is the part of the business I'm, I'm really building up is what I call the Rush Profits Monday Morning Meeting Minutes. So I have a weekly uh, video series that goes out. It's five to 10 minutes, new topic every week. We've got roughly a a hundred uh, videos, everything from all the stuff that we're talking about here to ha- how to handle very specific objections, how to do follow-ups, how to handle spousal objections, how to uh, build value, all those things. And so pretty cheap. So that's a great way to get all the content without uh, having me live. But uh, go to rushprofits.com, click the contact page, fill out the form, and we can at least have a conversation to see uh, if I have some virtual days or things like that, that we could at least uh, maybe do some consulting. So thank you for that. Yeah, Alan, this has been amazing, man. I'm, I'm so glad that you came on today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, appreciate you, buddy. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Alan Rush. I think that there is so much to take away from that. And again, I, I've said it a couple of times throughout this episode, but man, he just speaks with such a level of experience that, that it's very, very hard to argue with. And if, if you're going to argue with him, you better come prepared because he can give you a ton of examples of saying, hey, this this really works. Like, I'm not telling you it's the only way to do it, but I'm telling you that I've had some success here. My clients have, have had success too. So I, I, I think it's really, really good. You know, right at the beginning, we discussed how the reason people are afraid is that rejection is scary. Many salespeople in our industry are afraid of being rejected. And I think Alan's really wise when he said the easiest way not to get a no is to not go for a yes. And and that's so true. I mean, I, I've found, you know, in our industry, salespeople most often take the path of least resistance, even if that path means not selling anything. Now, this isn't true for like the top flight professionals, you know, they're, they're absolutely in it. They're students of the game and they're, and they're trying to help the customer make the right decision. But for many entry level and and even mid-level salespeople in our industry, they take the path of least resistance. And I think that for you as a leader listening to this, it's really important to ask, like, do I do this? You know, do I allow fear to, to cripple me over 
you know, my taking the initiative to help this customer solve the problem. Because at the end of the day, that's what a call to action is. A call to action is asking the customer if they would like to take this step to solve their problem. And the worst they're going to say is no. I mean, it really is. And we'll talk about this a little bit next week. I, I feel like for me, I am no longer afraid to call people to action. I'm just not afraid of it. And I'll, in a second, I'll talk about the reason why that is. I would say, though, when we talk next week about pursuing the opportunity, there are still times where I, I truly find fear inside of myself as I follow up with customers, as I ask them, hey, I know you weren't interested then, but are you interested now? Or, hey, there's this new development that's come through. I wanted to make you aware of it to see if you wanted to take advantage of this. And we'll get into all of that next week. I, I think that that fear is very, very real. And I, I personally have found that that has not gone away yet. It's not true with the call to action. I think with the call to action... When you go back to all the things that Alan mentioned, like they came to you, they've either walked into your showroom or they've called you out to the house. Like they actually want you to be right. I mean, they really, really do. Otherwise they wouldn't have come in. They wouldn't have had your team out there. So when you realize that, that that's their mentality. Now my price needs to be fair. It needs to be within their budget. There could be obstacles and, and you know, yellow lights and all those things. But at the end of the day, They've got a problem and they want it to be solved. So I can graciously and persuasively ask them if they want to get started with that. And for me, I think that it's that heart to serve that has helped me get over that fear, right? When I when I really do take the time to understand their problem and I see what a big problem it is, all of a sudden you're not afraid to ask them if they want to take that next step. Now, what I, what I will say, though, is oftentimes people are not ready, and, and I am completely fine with that. So I think what you heard from both me and Alan, even though we come at it from different ways, is we both want to give the customer flexibility and let them know they are not tied down, right? So the flexibility that Alan gives, as he mentioned, those different approaches with the finance close. For me, my approach in giving them flexibility is in that step one, step two, step three, and letting them know before I call them to action, letting the customer know, here's the steps, here's what we're about to do. So there are no surprises when I ask them to, to take that next step, right? Step one, we'll write up the estimate. Step two, we'll get someone scheduled for an in-home visit. And then step three, we'll install it. Or if I'm at the house, step one is we're going to finalize your quote. Step two, if those numbers look good, we'll call the office, check for our next available installation date, and then step three, we can get it installed. So when I tell them, this is what we're going to do, and then I ask, do you want to get on the schedule? Well, if they say no, at this point, I've got options, and I can use the 24-hour hold on the installation date. I can ask them the pricing question of, hey, that's okay, I totally understand, can I ask, how does this price look compared to what you expected to spend on this project, right? I can pivot into those things and where I need to, I can overcome objections. But what I found is very, very powerful is giving the customer flexibility to purchase on their own terms. Now, again, in Alan's case, he does that through financing that, that they can purchase on their terms. The way that, that I've done this is... If they want to purchase right now, I'm ready for it. If they say, oh man, you know, it's $12,000, we've got, we've got a budget of 9000 
Well, for me, what I want to try to do in most cases, because the number is so close, I want to try to find things to remove from my proposal to get down to $9,000. Because again, this is them purchasing on their own terms. They said this was their budget. Now, if I can take things away to get to their budget, I will often do that. Not always, but I will often do that if it's close because I want to test the water. Like we said at the end of the conversation here, I want to test the water for if price is the obstacle. And if it truly is, let's just remove price from the obstacle and then we can help them solve their problem. And if there's other work, we could talk about doing that next year or in six months, anything like that. Oftentimes though, when you remove things from the quote, the answer is, oh, well, you know, I actually wanted to do it because of X, Y, and Z. And now you can have a conversation about value, about, man, I I totally understand that. But if we are going to do all of that work, it, it does cost this much. But the thing I'll tell you, you know, we had a customer in, you know, just two neighborhoods over last week that had the same objections and it was, it was tough for them, but you know what? They made the decision to do it. We just finished up the install and you won't believe what it's done for them. You know, there's ways that you can move into addressing those objections, but you want to get down to the root cause. And my hope is that as you listen to this, you can strike a balance between confidence, but not arrogance. I would say in our industry, for most people, they need to inflate their confidence just a little bit. And and you do need to step up to the plate and say, hey, this is what you came in for. I understand this is the problem that you have. Here's the solution and here's what it costs. Do you want to get started? You need to do that. You need to have the confidence to do that. Again, using that three-step plan as step four of your sales process, it sets you up to make it so easy to do this. Now, there's a small number of people in our industry, but the many folks in other industries that can't take no for an answer. I recently had people out to give me a quote on my roof and the experience at first was good and it turned very pushy and very manipulative towards the end. And it got to the point where I just told them like, look, I'm not going to make a decision today and nothing that you tell me is going to change my mind. So I'm sorry. Like, I I need to go do some other things. And they never followed up with me. They were trying to hard close me right then and there. And they, you know, moved on to the next target. Now it was good until it wasn't. It was good as they were guiding me forward and saying, this is our plan. But when I give them the resistance of, you know, I am not going to make a decision today. I'm going to get another quote on this and I'll let you know how you guys shake out. Like, they're allowed to ask me a couple questions about that. But when I make it clear, like this is what I'm going to do, you know, if they would have been able to say, Hey, we totally understand that. When are you going to get that other proposal? I'd love to circle back with you after that. Right. And I gave them the date. They're allowed to follow up with me. And and that is allowing me to purchase on my terms. And so you want to ride that line of being persuasive and, and really trying to go somewhere without being arrogant and pushy. And I would say, you know, if you listen to what Alan did, if you follow our sales process, where step four is we just lay out that three-step plan for the customer, the three-step path, and then you ask them, okay, let's get started on step one. Hey, how does that look? Do you want to get started on step two? Okay, perfect. Do you feel comfortable moving ahead with step three? Because if you are, like, let's do this. It makes it so easy. And so I hope you guys got a lot of value out of that conversation. I think that there's a lot of really, really good things there that we talked about. 
Well, hey, if this podcast today was a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash itsfiretime. And we are so, so thankful to those of you who support this podcast. You know, we, we say this often, but we truly operate on a shoestring budget. But the only reason that we can continue to produce hopefully high quality content, have an editor that puts everything together really nicely and, and makes it sound good is because of the people who support this. So thank you a ton if, if that's you. And if you're not able to, I totally understand. And just the fact that you're listening and that you're having your team and your sales reps and other people in the industry listen to this is a huge blessing as well. So with that said, I hope you guys have an amazing week and I want you to think about your calls to action this week. If you have a heart to serve your customer and if you've taken the time to understand their problem, don't be afraid to call them to action. The worst they're going to say is no, and you can respect that and go to the next step of the sales process, which we'll get to next week. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into burn. 